This is a special episode of the Stem Cell Podcast, ISSCR 2022, Day 3. Hey everybody, we are Daylon and Arun. Welcome back to the Stem Cell Podcast, where we culture knowledge and stem cell research by talking to some of the brightest minds in the field. We're back with our third episode covering highlights from the ISSCR 2022 annual meeting taking place in San Francisco. Arun and I have had so much fun attending and getting to meet all of you, really touching conversations, inspiring. Uh, this goes out to all of you that are listening and meeting us at the meeting. We really, really enjoy talking to you. It's a gift, um, but it's not over yet. If you're looking to find out what we're up to, the meeting, follow us on Twitter at Stem Cell Podcast. You can also find episodes covering the two previous days of the meeting at www.stemcellpodcast.com or wherever you find your podcasts. Today, we'll be discussing our favorite sessions throughout day three of the ISSCR 2022 annual meeting. So if you were in another session or weren't able to attend the meeting, we've got you covered. We're going to kick things off in just a minute, but before we get to that, not quite ready for ICCR 2022 to end, consider joining the Stem Cell Research Standards Task Force for a half-day meeting on Sunday, June 19th. This event, sponsored by Stem Cell Technologies, will explore developing quality standards for pluripotent stem cell research. Learn more at stemcell.com slash ISSCR dash quality dash symposium. So... My first talk was in the, these concurrents that ended last night, uh, so ended day two, and then we're going to go into the morning of day three here in the afternoon. Uh, so I started with your girl, Alexandra Moser, Arun, who's at Cedars-Sinai and Clive Svensson's lab. She was talking about iPS-derived immune cells for the improvement of cognition. It was kind of like, in my view, kind of like a parabiosis off the shelf idea and no coincidence i saw gordon keller and chuck murray sidling in together and taking a keen interest a lot of gray hairs on those two guys we need them in the game so as soon as we can get the cognition up they'll be the first in line and i'm an advocate for that the idea generally was imax as she called it these macrophages that she generated from induced pluripotent stem cells and there's generally a treatment regimen of giving 50 500,000 cells in mice every three days for three weeks. And the bottom line was uh, there was a notable increase in the cognition, I guess, uh, to put it in a word. But she did a lot of assay and testing to demonstrate pretty convincingly. Um, and everyone in the audience was perking up at these data. It was really exciting work uh, that I think has been a long time coming. She's put a lot into. So it was really excited to see that. Arun. Be sure to send your congratulations on my behalf as well. Um, next, I uh, found my way to Jiri Anand, who's a grad student in the Ramanathan lab at Harvard. And this was a, a talk that blew my mind. Well, it blew my mind after I got totally lost in the math. So the idea was this like spatial coupling and the modeling of axial elongation. And it was generally taking this engineering kind of math in silico approach to uh, predicting and controlling the differentiation and patterning of ES cells. And it used micro patterning and etching and stuff on this large scale to generate a lot of little embryoid body type things. Um, and bottom line, I mean, there was a lot of math. I'm not going to lie. I got lost, a lot of Greek symbols. He went deeper and deeper and deeper with the muse. 
the sigmas, the deltas, but ultimately the upshot was totally worth it. They came up with this arrangement that they predicted in silico, this simple hexagonal arrangement with this uh, fixed distance between the hexagons that was so dope. I mean, all of these, it went from being totally random patterning to having these perfect florets of axially patterned um, like embryoids, I guess. So that was really cool. Next after that, I went to see uh, Mikhail Israel, uh, Israel um, who had this Astro RX prod product for uh, treatment of ALS, getting uh, IPS derived astrocytes for treatment of e ALS and an intrathecal transplant. It was really, I think, emblematic of this meeting how it was all about how we're right on the cusp of these therapies being translated and the due diligence necessary to get there is really overwhelming. There's a ton of data qualifying these cells and you know, demonstrating pretty clearly that they're clinically ready. Uh, he went through a ton of data in 10 minutes. Ultimately, they had a 10 uh, in, in, enrollees in this trial, five and five in an escalating dose, 100 million and 250 million endpoints for safety no adverse events, a secondary endpoint showed significant efficacy, a meaningful decline in the progression um, of disease. So that was a really, really, I think, exciting demonstration. And like I said, emblematic of not just the, the types of efforts to, to proof these cells, but a lot of these talks in this meeting this year are really about putting these cells into people. And uh, I don't think we're done even talking about that tonight. Absolutely not. I mean, that's fantastic transition into the later half of this particular meeting, which I think is a heavy focus on the translational, you know, the heavy focus on the clinical applications. Even Doug Melton mentioned during his talk you know, over the first couple of days um, that we have to wait for some of that cutting edge, you know, new data coming out from Vertex, and that's going to be on Saturday. So I think they do structure ISCR in this way, perhaps in part to keep people's attention, keep people on their toes to, to stay for that very last day, because perhaps that's when that big clinical translational data is actually going to drop. Jumping to Friday morning, Friday, June 17th, here we are today, uh, we had plenary number four, which was led off by Tina Mukherjee from India, from the Institute for Stem Cell Science and Regenerative Medicine in STEM. And first of all, you know, I think it's great that we're having some representation from India in the first place. You know, there's plenty of good stem cell science happening there, but we don't always get to highlight that on the show and in general at the ICCR. So it was really great to see Dr. Mukherjee's work really focusing on an understanding of blood progenitor development through the lenses of sensory perception is a really unique topic that I didn't know a lot about, in particular about how odors influence immunity, two things that you wouldn't think would be connected per se, but apparently GABA, you know, the neurotransmitter GABA is really important in, you know, connecting these two things, uh, sen sensation, uh, odor sensation and uh, um, immune function. So there's GABA that's actually detected in the blood cells of Drosophila, and this can influence their downstream immune response. And I think, you know, we were talking about this before even recording this. I think the really exciting part of this is the application towards mammalian models, right? This is a Drosophila system, and it's, Drosophila is absolutely very powerful for genetic screening and also for developmental biology. 
But I think, you know, thinking about how this, this particular connection could be applied towards mammalian system is really the next step. There's the idea of dogs being able to quote unquote, smell cancer. So maybe there's really something to it. Moving on to a favorite topic of mine, which is no surprise, given that I'm a cardiac biologist, Sasa Menjin from the Institute of Molecular Biology, uh, Biotechnology or IMBA in Australia. Sorry, Austria, not Australia. We do have a lot of Australians represented too at the meeting. But Sasha was uh, presenting his work on cardioids, which we actually talked a bit on the show uh, about you know, these cardioids, these developmental organoids, uh, you can call them, which are used to basically unravel the mechanisms of compartment-specific heart defects. This is something that I have a lot of interest in. I've studied cardiac development mostly by differentiating cardiomyocytes from iPSCs in two dimensions. But as we know, the heart is a complex multi-chambered organ with multiple chambers, four chambers. And ideally, you would want to use some of these next generation three-dimensional models to really more accurately recapitulate the spatio-temporal dynamics of cardiac development. And they've done some amazing work in the Menjin lab uh, developing these cardioids to really study the mechanisms of compartment-specific heart defects. Um, these organoids are able to self-organize. This is a growth factor-mediated differentiation um, that's able to produce these organoids in, in a way that can be scalable. These things can be mass-produced, produced in high throughput, which enables them to be used for drug screening, drug discovery for developmental teratogens, perhaps. So I think there's a million different applications for this kind of work. And I'm actually thinking about maybe even, you know, giving a shot in my own lab and, you know, bringing, bringing the cardioids into the fold in my own work. Moving on to Tatiana Salka-Spengler, who is using uh, functional genomics to decode gene regulatory circuitry in development. This is actually a good follow-up after Sasha Menjin's talk on cardioids because that's apparently a missing cell type. And, you know, the, the, one of the focal cell types that she was talking about here was the, the neural crest. And in the, the Menjin cardioids, those neural crest cells are missing because that's a completely different cell lineage that's uh, involved during cardiac specification. So perhaps the two of them need to chat a little bit and maybe set up an interdisciplinary cross-continent, cross-country collaboration. Finally, we had Alejandro Sanchez Alvarado from the Stowers Institute for Medical Research here in the US talking about the power of the planaria and in particular, the power of the planaria to study regeneration. It's got a tremendous regenerative capacity. You can cut this thing in half and it's just gonna grow right back. So we love our unique model systems here on the show and it's cool to get the, uh, to see how the planaria have a little bit of shine. Yeah, but for me, the the mind blower was the the cardioids. Um, I, I just, I, you know, I love you. You love a good picture, a good movie, but this for me is, it's it's really hard to even imagine how you could create a heart, and then you see him show this picture with the pacing and the atrium and the compounds. It's just so nuts. I, I was I was blown away, but also conceptually, I'd like to give. Um, some run to Tina Mukherjee, who that it was also really blew my mind, just the, the connection between that priming um, in, in terms of sensory priming and the connection to the immune system. So I think that like in that one session, I was both introduced to the, the amazing progress and possibility of, of the cardiac organoid and any kind of organ generation. And that combined with last night with the axial elongation 
And I know we're about to talk a bit later about like the somatogenesis and, and all these patterning things that are going on in these systems. I, I think it's, it's just so amazing the progress we're making on multiple fronts. So yes, like you, I was very impressed, but really in particular at the kind of organoid structural type stuff that we were seeing there. And going into high resolution, the planaria too, that map, the way he was able to visualize and to, to synthesize all those data into that one U map with hundreds of thousands of cells and also parse it up in a way you could understand was great. Um, moving on from that into the concurrence, there was another single cell uh, seek story. And, you know, single cell now is, is commonplace. It's everywhere. It's not novel. But I think uh, in this case, it was a nice story from Peng He. It was a travel award winner looking at the fetal lung in a fetal lung atlas. And, and the real key for me here was it was the great rigor of the work, um, getting cells from fetal lung at multiple stages of gestation. But it, it also rung uh, really, it was really uh, hit me close to my heart because in, in a similar way, I'm trying to characterize the cells within the ovary. And what uh, Peng He showed here is that when you really look closely and with enough cells at enough stages, you can find these hidden states in the fetal lung. And these are really specific and subtle variations in cell types um, that can be identified in seek data and then corroborated with staining. And that's what he and his group did there. Um, and then he went beyond that because the phenotype isn't really enough, especially because it's hard to even ask the questions in mice because the, the, the key innovation using the human fetal lung is that these cells likely don't exist at the scale of the mouse. Um, so yeah, you ask, is it relevant to find these in human fetal lung if you can't test? But then he was able to actually look in lung organoids. And I think that was the real um, experimental angle that was really uh, exciting and convincing to me. Then I caught Evangelos Kiskinis, um, who I thought had a really great uh, piece of work looking at uh, the ECM, right? Uh, the idea there is that the lack of maturation, you know, in these cultures that we talk about all the time, Arun, it's one of the major bottlenecks is that we can't get these cells to mature. And uh, Evangelos's hypothesis uh, was that it's that we have a ECM that's not really physiological. They had a great approach of comparing spinal cord ECM from adult versus neonate that allowed them to hit on this laminin A1, which was up in the adult. Then they created this ECM emetic based on laminin A1 and showed that cells that were grown on that had superior morphology, electrophysiology. And the real key here is that the disease cells that they were able to generate using this method and culture on this substrate, they recapitulated the disease phenotype. So that's an amazing tool where you can actually get the disease in a dish. And that's something we haven't talked about as much lately. Disease modeling, I think, has maybe taken second place to the organoids and all the other advances. But this is an exciting thing if you care about ALS. Um, talking more about clinical application, I caught this story about a spinal cord injury. Uh, Kano Hideyuki working on, again, one of these stories where we're going into patients. They had four patients here. They were uh, creating neural stem progenitor cells in an IPS bank. This is a Japanese group in combination with CIRA there, uh, freezing them. And then they recruited four patients. The primary endpoint here was safety. I think it just resonated with me because I can remember very vividly Hans Kierstedt in one of the early ISSCR meetings talking about generating and injecting these cells into the spinal cord for repairing injury. And it kind of just went away. The, the trial was shut down in 2011 by Geron. And, you know, it was kind of moving too fast. And 
now Hans Kirstead. You look him up on Wikipedia, he's running for Congress. But here we are, Dr. Akano bringing it back. And I think moving this to the point and the precipice of, of clinical translation. Then, of course, the, uh, Dr. Nidhi Bhutani, she got me. Uh, as soon as she said she was talking about osteoarthritis because my joints, man, I'm standing on these meetings I'm making. Um, so I went to look at her talk on mass cytometry, which is, you know, pretty amazing in terms of a more agnostic approach, looking at inflammatory markers and chondrocytes from patients with uh, osteoarthritis or not, and showing some really nice targets in the meta scale, looking at all these different pathways. So that was some hope for me in my older age. Then I caught the very end, I was going to see Jun Wu Arun, and I caught the very end of Yuchuan Miao's sto uh, story from Olivier Porquier's lab. And I was just amazed by the live imaging and the, the fidelity with uh, axial elongation in, in vivo, you know, native uh, that I saw there and these live reporters, combination of live reporters that were allowing them to look at these so-called somatoids, somitoids and segmentoids. So that was amazing. And that's posted on BioArchive. So I was really excited to see work from a, a, a young trainee who uh, is really representing the next wave, I think, where we're trying to really model these really, really fundamental uh, morphogenic processes and development. And of course, Jun Wu, I could not see his talk because that's right in that vein. He talked about how he's using blastoids to model this whole spectrum of pluripotency that's emerged between the intermediates and the naive and the primed. There's a whole lexicon there that, uh, you know, is confusing in itself, but the tool to unravel it is clearly a, 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 a faithful uh, model of human uh, pre-implantation development that is a blastoid. And I, I was really um, I was really pleased and I would say I took a lot of courage and grace for him to acknowledge the relative inferiority of his previously published methods in, in terms of generating uh, the blastoids and how uh, appropriate the trophectoderm was there. But he talked about his V2 approach, so-called, his, his next-gen approach, which was superior in every way. And then he used it to also model implantation that we've talked about from the Rebron group use a very similar method except using uh, endometrial stroma. So yeah, I thought that was um, a great uh, session for me because I, I got it all and I'm getting to the point in the meeting, I don't know about you Arun, where it's all coming together. You know, I'm getting this kind of uh, culmination of all the things I've heard and some ideas are percolating, some of them that are so far beyond what I'm capable of doing in the lab, but a lot of them where I'm like, you know what, why can't I try that? So it's, it's really exciting to be here. Absolutely. And in addition to that, in addition to some of the ideas that I'm hoping to take back to my own lab, I'm also starting to see some of the, the overall trends that are emerging in this meeting, which are representative perhaps of the trends in the greater stem cell field. So like yesterday, we talked about the concept of hypoimmunity, and there's so many talks focused on this, using the immune system as a, and modifying the immune system to shield cell therapies against attack and get them to survive long-term. That's a really hot topic. And today I felt like the, the unifying theme, at least for me, 
was the power of these next-gen 3D models, the organoids, the assembloids in particular. And, and the other thing is how many people are starting to adapt these technologies and bring them into their, their own labs. So I spent a lot of time in the organoid section for this particular breakout, but I did have to start things off by getting a cardiac refresher from the one and only Gordon Keller, the grandfather of cardiac differentiation. He really presented a beautiful journey, which is personally very, very gratifying to listen to this icon in the field that I focus on. A journey through cardiac development and differentiation, uh, how differentiation has evolved in the cardiomyocyte field from simple 2D differentiation with small molecules and growth factors into these really complex three-dimensional approaches, such as the ones that Sasha Menjin is pushing forward, in addition to cardiomyocyte subtype specification into atrial ventricular cell type. So it's always good to get a refresher now and then, don't you think? So absolutely beautiful work, great recap of everything that I love and I stand for in cardiac dif differentiation. But then I did moved on to the organoid section, which is where I really spent a lot of time, starting off with uh, Kunyu Shin, who is using assembloids to the max. And it's not just Sergio Pasca who's using assembloids these days. A lot of people are starting to adapt this technology, combining different organoids into multi-section, uh, multi-lobular assembloids. And Sasha Menjin had one example of this in the heart, but Kunyu Shin was working on these across different types of tissues. And these are assembloids that can recapitulate in vivo tissue dynamics and uh, you know, some cancer assemblies have also caught on uh, as well. So it's not just Sergio Pasca working on the assemblies. We love Sergio, but it's beyond him at this point. Moving on to Jessica uh, Venslambach from uh, Australia, who is looking at some improved proximal tubule maturation in kidney organoids and control of nephron alignment due to uh, improved proximal tubule maturation. This is not something I know a lot about. I don't know a ton about the kidney, um, but it was cool to learn. And there are a couple of great kidney-focused talks in this particular organoid section. Uh, basically, the idea is a longer differentiation time for these kidney differentiations gives more mature cells leading to more functional maturity, in particular, the response to, say, drug toxicity and overall improved spatial arrangement. So that was really cool to see. And transitioning really well to a talk from Shinsuke Tanigawa uh, from Japan, you know, generation of organic, organotypic kidney structure solely from pluripotent stem cells. And he was mentioning that stromal progenitors in the kidney organoids are really critical for further maturation of the organoids as a whole. So I got my kidney lesson and my heart lesson within 30 minutes. I was happy, very happy about that. Moving on to a talk that, again, was just very near and dear to my heart, but had nothing to do with the heart. It had to do with space. Okay. And if you know me, you know, I love my space biology. I've been fortunate enough to send some work and some heart cells to the International Space Station in another part of the work that I do in my lab and in my, in my life, my career. And this was the one space station, space microbiology, uh, space gravity, space biology, whatever you want to call it, talk at ISSER. And I was just so hyped and so excited to see David Moroda represent space biology at ISSCR. It really touched my heart. The idea was uh, they sent iPSC-derived 3D brain models of Parkinson's disease and multiple sclerosis to the International Space Station 
which is actually not that far. It's only 200 miles above us, you know, when it's directly above us. But the process of getting cells to the space, to the space station, you know, the fact that you can get any data out from the other side, and they were able to get great data, you know, RNA sequencing data, different types of analyses. The fact that you can get any sort of data from the other side after this complex experiment, and to me, that's a success. To me, that's a great success, especially when you're using these complex 3D organoids to do these uh, <laughs> expensive and complicated microgravity cultures. So props to them. This was a nice of, uh, this is a nice of project. So, you know, Little connection to you there, Daylon. Absolutely. Uh, also involved in this project was our friend Gene Loring, who's been on the show recently. Uh, so that was just a really great uh, example of the next generation of space biology work that's happening at the ISSCR. And there are a lot of big name folks in the field who are getting involved in this area. Joe Wu, uh, Gene Loring, even Clive Svensson at Cedar Sinai. All of them are starting to do work on the International Space Station. After that, Ivana matrovic Glico, who generated uh, pulmonary type 2 alveolar epithelial cells from human pluripotent stem cells without intermediate enrichment steps. So again, uh, reflecting how the differentiation and development of these organoids is becoming slightly better, it's becoming more improved. Uh, the differentiation of the organoids is becoming more homogenous. We're getting around some of the problems of heterogeneity and three-dimensional differentiation. And then I think we caught the same talk, Yuxuan Mao, uh, really beautiful reconstruction of human somatogenesis and pluripotent stem cells. And the key here was these real-time monitors, real-time fluorescent readouts and reporters of somite formation in pluripotent stem cells, just the pulsing on off of the different gene pathways, gene signatures that's leading to somite formation was just so you know, just so aesthetically pleasing to look at, in addition to being a great readout for the, the science that they're doing. It kind of reminds me of some of Miki Ebisuya's work as well. I think a lot of folks in this field are, are utilizing these real-time imaging aspects to, to their maximum potential. And then, of course, our guy Jun Wu is talking about some early embryo models and really the tremendous work that his lab has done in studying early, very early human embryo development using pluripotent stem cells. Yeah, man, we've seen it all at this point, almost all of what we can hope and expect to see. The only thing, cause only because you mentioned it, the only thing we haven't seen is, is Serge, Sergio Pasca. Where are hmm. you, partner? Where the hell have you been? Are you in space with Bezos? What's up? We're looking for you. We can't find you. I mean, I know you're probably doing something important, but the organoids are popping off. People are getting ahead without you. You better catch up. I'll see you at the next meeting, I hope. But uh, until then, I guess we'll have to wait and just see all your papers uh, pouring out of cell in nature. Another, well, future legend, uh, living legend, Sergio Pascal, I'll call him, but another living legend in the field that I'm waiting to see tonight. Uh, this is kind of what I'm staying up for. Uh, I'll be honest, Arun, I'm flagging a little bit, especially after that reception last night. The band was nuts. Sweet Child of Mine's guitar solo was like, it was like Slash was up there, reincarnation. So Good job, whoever put that together. But uh, I'm going to keep it going for Lorenz, uh, my guy in NYC, MSK, who really changed the game and is, like many others, realizing the culmination of a life's work and deserves all the plaudits and awards that he, he's due to get and the one he's getting tonight. I also just want to hear him speak, but you're going to have to wait till tomorrow to hear that one, guys, because that brings us to the end of our latest ISSCR 2022 episode. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter 
at Stem Cell Podcast to find out what we're up to at the meeting and visit us at the Stem Cell Podcast booth on the exhibitor floor where you can win some prizes and find out how you can be featured on a future episode of the podcast. Check back here tomorrow for our final recap of the meeting. It's going to be bittersweet. You know, I'm ready to get home, ready to get some rest, but I'm not ready to leave all this science. But we got one more episode, guys. Until then, you know, get online. Check some of those sessions out. There's a whole world of science out for you to tune into until you hear from us again. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.